0: Welcome to the Optimal Mindset Podcast. My name is Johnny Taylor and I'm a PE teacher and a coach with a passion for all things related to mindfulness, breathwork and sports science. In these episodes we'll be chatting with some of my personal idols and experts in the field of sports and performance. I hope to uncover stories about their journey, optimizing routines and the mindset they use to achieve their goals. Remember, train your mind, optimize your life. All right, welcome to episode number five. Today's guest is David Jackson. Uh, welcome and thanks for joining the show today, David. Uh, thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Perfect. Uh, David is an ex professional rugby player, a uh, strength and conditioning coach, and he recently completed a 135 mile ultra marathon uh, in Wales. He currently teaches breath work to help others, um, and I love his goal, which is to imp- help others to improve their lives and to reach their potential. So I'm sure we can really unpack a lot of his his uh mindset and um and his <laughs> journey. So I'd just like to start with a question. Um how how did you kind of end up teaching breath work and a little bit about your background, obviously you having achieved so much with your life?
1: Um gosh, I don't know if I've achieved anything. Um I'm still here, I'm <laughs> gonna be forty I'm gonna be four to one on Sunday. So um I'm I'm I am i i am i am still I'm still going. And that's the main thing, isn't it? Um yeah no um I, I played rugby my whole life since i was like six years old um i got um my first concussion when i was 16 at uh, an england trial and um unfortunately had a, a number of concussions throughout my rugby career um i was lucky enough to play professionally um, and i was lucky enough also to have a you know my final uh brain injury was in 2013 so i was 31 at the time i'd, I'd you know i i had just signed a new two year contract but i'd i'd pretty much you know i was I'd, I'd had a i'd had a i was entering my 13th season so i'd i'd had a long career um which i was very grateful for but um yeah i'd had a, a series of concussions throughout my career that at the time i didn't realize that were progressively taking less to knock me out and um the symptoms lasting for longer and being worse um, because ultimately even though you've thought you were had recovered because your symptoms had, you know, you'd had headaches for a week and then they've resided and it's like you feel like you're back to normal. The brain is actually still under a state of stress and have well if, if, if we'd have had brain scans done then, it would have shown. Um, there's research now showing that it's up to seven months later or, or more, but there's there's one study from, uh, I think from last year, showing that scanning someone's brain seven months after their their symptoms have resolved they still so there's still brain still on an mri functional mri scan still shows signs of of injury so when you then get another concussion when it hasn't fully recovered it's like you just you just you're just layering on top of of the injury um so yeah i had a i had a seizure on the training field from we were, we were we were in training. We were warming up. We weren't even doing contact. It was, it was innocuous, like just. It was actually two of us on the same team. I don't remember anything. I've just been luckily when you have like a seizure and a, a bad injury like this, you you don't remember anything. I wouldn't like to have remembered it, but been told like two of us on the same team banged into each other because we were both trying to catch the same ball in the warm up. And um, yeah, I, I I hit the ground. Had a had a seizure. Taken to hospital. Um, I just got told it was a concussion and I spent about three or four months trying to get back to playing initially um, and could never shift any of my symptoms. So things would just sort of, it would get worse and then a little bit better and then just get worse. Um, And eventually at the, it was like the Christmas, so it was maybe like five months afterwards, had an MRI scan that showed a scar on the brain from a small bleed I would have had that was, a sign from or that the seizure was a sign of a bleed. So the specialist told me, so there was some, yeah. uh, I'm not necessarily like bitter, but it could have been dealt with better. (laughs) If I'd seen that specialist straight away, she could have told me stuff immediately. Um, But that's just the way, the way things work, which is fine. Um, I've since 10 years later, now had a follow-up brain scan that shows that scar has healed, um, which is, um, Completely out of the norm from from other people that I've spoken to, that that you know that there's a big problem with contact sports, and particularly in rugby, with um, people having you know early onset of dementia and a lot of cognitive decline. Which this research now shows that after just two concussions in your lifetime, there can be um, some severe cognitive um, decline. And one of the things that we've have I say it has been known in the literature since the 1960s and I've just been taking a deep dive into this uh, myself recently to try and un- un- unpick it because it's clearly it's clearly helped me and my brain like recover um, and actually the tissue literally tissue recovered just to be able to see it on a scan as well as me feeling like back to normal. Um, the, back in the 60s there's some there's uh, some papers that are quoted as saying after a brain injury, Someone's respiratory rate will have been altered, so it'll be faster as part of the injury, as part of the trauma or the, the stress of the impact. Um, breathing mechanics, then negatively affected, and then end tidal CO2 reduced. And end tidal CO2 is just the way they measure like, how sensitive we are to carbon dioxide, and that being lower is, is a bad thing. Um, if, uh, carbon dioxide is a vasodilator, and it's the catalyst that allows oxygen to be released um, from red blood cells and helps oxygen pass the the blo- um, the blood brain barrier. So when CO2 is very low within the body, you're going to have a faster breathing rate. You're going to have poorer mechanics and you're going to stay in that state of, of poor breathing, which reducing our CO2 levels potentially even further, but those low levels of CO2 are going to restrict blood flow to the brain and reduce or or affect or limit oxygen supply to the brain. So hence why seven months later, or as I was like four years later, still breathing poorly and the brain not recovering. And in order for the brain to recover, we need to get blood and oxygen there. But you can't get blood and oxygen there effectively when you've got poor breathing because it's going to keep your levels of CO2 low. So the the key parameter that that I've worked on from the great work that Patrick McEwan from the Oxford Vantage has done, and he's who taught me, is to restore and rebalance and recalibrate my brain's relationship with carbon dioxide. So I can improve my tolerance of carbon dioxide, which will then improve cerebral blood flow and help deliver oxygen to the brain so that it can so that it can recover. Um, and there's, then there's also within that, as you're working on your breathing, you'll also be working on down-regulating that dysfunctional um, or uh, affected nervous system, let's say, rather than just dysfunctional. Yeah, the nervous system will have been... Um, affected and, and the breathing is another piece of the, the the puzzle that works on that it's going to work on that at the same time so um yeah that's been uh that was my sort of way into it um i had the injury in 2013 and it probably wasn't till 2017 that i even that they even came on the map like so four years before i'd even looked at whether breathing was something that I needed to, to look at and do. But when I did and <laughs> open Pandora's box, it was like, okay, wow. One, this is like a lot of super interesting stuff. They just take for just not realizing like, it's not all about oxygen. It's more about CO2 than anything else. Um, and some really eye opening things like that, that like, okay, like oof, this is, this is, this is interesting. I've got like a scientific background myself, like a, a science, um, degree. And, um, when you play rugby, you don't really do a lot of study and, and that sort of stuff. So I really enjoyed going back into delving into some of the chemistry and the biology of what was going on. So I enjoyed that side of it, but it was something I needed to do to help like my brain um, and my, my brain recovery, but also like protect my brain from potential cognitive de- decline in the future, which still may happen. Like I've had way more than the three that might be what causes issues. But as as it stands, um, it's it's being it's being a good tool to help regulate my nervous system and allow my brain to yeah have recovered.
0: So I mean we'll, we'll kind of dive deeper into this later on, but thanks for kind of giving that information. But when you initially kind of had the the, the seizure and you had the what did you know about breathing? Was there like was it something that was known yeah. that breathing was going think... to help with this, or is it just kind of we
1: didn't even know that there was a cumulative buildup of, of, of consecutive concussions. We literally, it's in back, like, and not that there wasn't studies out there, but just the, and, you know, I went to, when I saw the the neuro specialist at the Christmas time, that she was the one that, you know, gave me my results for my MRI scan. She immediately said, just from looking at my, you know, on the computer, my history of how many times I've been to, been into hospital admitted to hospital for concussions and head injuries, she was like, Wow, you've been busy. Um clearly there's a cumulative buildup. And we were like, I was there with my physio and we were like, so come again, what do you what do you mean by that? Like, there's this And it's it then sounds obvious, you think, well, any other injury would you know, if someone's had a um say done their ACL and they've had a knee a knee op, like the chances of them having problems with that knee again are highly likely because they've already injured it. So it's, it's a bit silly that we didn't even really think about it or, com- or contemplate it, but we don't... Because we can't see the brain and we can't see the injury that's going on, it's not as easy for us to uh, appreciate its injury and how to sort of deal with it. Um, it just is the easy one to get left under the mark. Like, I had one, I had got knocked out twice in one game, which is a really bad thing to happen. Um, the second time... Um, I broke my cheek and jawbone in three places and I've still got a displaced eye socket here Uh, so it broke in 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 three places apparently like when you get hit there it's quite common for there to be a fracture in these three places this like triangles had an operation to have my um, that cheekbone reset was supposed to have a plate put in but it, it was actually fine. I didn't need the plate in the end, which was luckily good because if I'd had the metal plate put in, I wouldn't have been able, able to have a, an MRI scan all these years later that I needed to diagnose my, my brain injury. So that was actually really an answer to, to prayer really. But um, yeah, I I got treated for a broken eye socket and cheekbone. It won't even be on my record that I, so I had two concussions in that game and it won't even be on my record that I had one, that even the one won't even be, even the one with the, it was like my record will say broken cheekbone, had the operation to have it reset, done. Because they can see that my face was like caved in and they can go in and they can do something about it. They don't, they don't assess brain injuries. And, and symptom all the research that we can see there now and this isn't like there isn't there's there's new stuff because there's always new research but there's research that goes back 60 years that i've uncovered i've got blogs and some podcasts on my on my website probethwood.com like detailing it and if people are interested like email me i'll happily send you all the stuff um it's there in black and white and one of the things that we can do is we can assess someone's breathing and we can assess someone's heart rate variability. Breathing and heart rate variability go hand in hand to tell us about the nervous system. And they will soon tell you whether someone's had a brain injury or not, or, or not, or whether they've had a concussion or, or whether their brain is affected from the impact of the injury and when it has recovered. And it's also retraining and using the breathing techniques from the Oxygen vantage, tailored specifically for people with Uh, that are very sensitive because of the concussion is the the simplest and most usable thing you can do to help recover from a brain injury because what can you do after you've had a brain injury like a bad one like i had what can you do nothing literally nothing um you can sleep and you'll sleep a lot because your body's really fatigued you can't look at like like you should probably do some vestibular system work but that requires you doing eye drills. You can't do eye drills, you'll get a headache. You can't do bad balance drills, you'll get a headache um, or whatever else your symptoms are. So you can't really do anything. The people caring and looking after you say that you can't do anything. You have very little hope because your questions are like, how do I get better? Well, you just need to rest. When am I going to get better? We don't know. Am I going to make a full recovery? We hope so. That was what was said. It leaves you in a very dark place. Some of your symptoms from brain injuries and the trauma and the stress what's going on to the brain is like it's very common for people to have like depression and and things like that but added on top of that you've got all this whole thing of like you've got this injury you can't do anything about it you don't even know if you're going to get better like that's going to make someone depressed anyway even if there wasn't the brain affected by all of the dysregulation to to carbon dioxide and the nervous system so i get very passionate about this because it's like well there is something you can do when you can't do anything, when you can't look at any lights, you can't do anything, you can have your eyes closed, you can be lying in bed and you could do a couple of very, very simple breathing exercises, which one gives you some hope that you're doing something to help yourself. That's so powerful. The other thing is, it is actually genuinely going to help your nervous system and restore blood flow to your brain. And it's necessary. Otherwise, it won't change. I've, got, I've worked with some clients one-on-one now that are like, um, three years later, last brain injury three years ago, assess their breathing. They're like, it's, it's not, it, it's still where I, I, I never tested when it was straight afterwards, but it's still right down in the levels of like, this is a massive problem. Um, And it will not suddenly get better on its own. It's like when you cut your arm, when you cut your arm, it scabs over and it heals. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to do it. It's magic. It's amazing. It is literally magic that you, your body heals itself. The brain will heal itself. The body will heal itself. But it does need the right conditions. It needs blood flow and oxygen there. And the breathing will not normalize itself on its own. But the nice thing about breathing is it's part of the autonomic functioning of the body, but it has this arm to it where or this element to it where you can choose to do something with it and to train. It has this conscious part of it, and, and that's where... That's where the, yeah, that's where the magic happens.
0: Oh, amazing. Well, I think, I mean, to you, it sounds like a testament to someone that's kind of overcome adversity and overcome challenge. Um, so it's, it's it's amazing that you're so passionate about something. And the fact that you've kind of found found this area. So that's, that's, that's awesome, man. Um, so this podcast is kind of about what is an optimal mindset and how can we develop an optimal mindset? So if I was to ask you, what would be your definition of an optimal mindset?
1: Um, I thinking about this like have you come across carol dweck's work uh like growth mindset growth mindset yeah like being open to being open to change um i think even being i was lucky because i had it this morning like i just it was nothing in particular just i think the, no, the sun wasn't even shining in fact um but it was one of those mornings where i was just like just happy to be alive for just like for just for just literally just for life and it was like Having that um having that awe about like how amazing life actually is that like literally we're here um that for me when I'm in that place, like you feel like you can do anything um there's some other stuff around mindset that I think um will come out when we talk a bit about the uh the ultra marathon uh, experience that I had last year yeah. where um yeah i learned some interesting stuff about mindset there that is is potentially countercultural but certainly counter to what i would have previously thought um perfect
0: i like it I, yeah so i like the fact that you kind of dived into just being happy where you are right it's almost like very meditative or very zen just kind of being enjoying all the moments that we have and being very present with where you are right okay so let's dive into the uh the ultra the ultra marathon so firstly what an amazing amazing achievement
1: uh 135 well, you weren't miles. there if you just if you just <laughs> if you'd have seen it you'd be like gosh that wasn't a mate. like <laughs> i wasn't i wasn't amazing but yeah i mean to do it
0: so it was was it it was the ring of fire marathon in ultra marathon in wales um so what what kind of i mean just tell me all about it but what was it what was kind of the the physical and the mental challenges that you that you faced during during the the race yeah
1: um so yeah i'm i'm not like built like a long distance runner and and i'm not a long distance runner i was uh, enjoying doing some running to help as part of like working on my breathing. Um, I'd always wanted to do a marathon for whatever reason. I don't, I can't even say why I just, but when I played rugby, you weren't, you weren't allowed to sort of do any other sports because it would just, you know, going off and running a marathon in the off season would not be great for, for your body, for the sport that you're playing. Um, and we didn't do any long, di- we didn't do long distance running. It's not that type of training. So um, it's definitely take takes me out of my uh, comfort zone, but I enjoyed... I enjoyed the process of basically using breathing, using running, so using running as a way to work on my breathing. Um, And I was finding that actually, the better I got at breathing, and that was like in and out through the nose and and connecting with my diaphragm and having the proper rib articulation. Basically, when I was breathing well and able to regulate my uh, respiratory rate through nasal breathing, I didn't feel like I was getting quite anywhere near as tired like running and then you felt like you know, you stupidly you get to this point where you feel like you could run forever but you can't because like stuff other stuff starts hurting so it's not like you never it's not your breathing that then becomes the problem it's like your joints and what have you um anyways I did my first marathon and I was a, I was a bit of a mess after my first marathon um for like a day and I remember thinking like. People go and like run another marathon like the next day, don't they? Like these crazy things you have. And I was like, I didn't have any desire to do another marathon, but just try and run it faster. But I was like, I would, I don't know why. I just like the the idea of like, I, I, I wanted to do a multi-day event. Um, And uh, yeah, the, the Ring of Fire is running around Anglesey in North Wales. So a little island on top of North Wales. Uh, 135 miles as you said, uh, 216 kilometers in, in new money, um, over three days. Uh, and the challenge with it is how they squeeze it, like they've made it hard. So you start at 1 p.m. on Friday, cutoff time is 10 p.m. to run uh, 56, 58 K or something, 35 miles. It's like a, Marathon and a half or something. Then day two, you start at six am and finish at midnight. Is is your cut off at the very end? Um, so that's an eighteen hour day. I took seventeen hours forty five minutes. Like wow. that's wow, not nice. The guy that was the winner, let's say. I don't know if there are any winners in these things. Um, he was like five hours ahead. So when I came in, quarter to midnight. He'd already had been to the pub and had whatever and done the joint. He'd finished at six o'clock in the, in the evening or whatever it was. Um, yeah. And then you start again, 6am Sunday morning and finish at 3pm on the Sunday. So it's like been really condensed and squeezed. And there's certain things that I didn't really appreciate or understand. I'd not done a multi-day event before. Um, well, I'd done one thing. I'd done a, I'd done a 30 miler which then had a, a a 10K the next day, um, which wasn't enough in hindsight, wasn't enough to actually get yourself really ready and prepared for it. But anyway, I, um, I, uh, I didn't appreciate that. Like you do the math on that and you go like, okay, finish at 10 and you get up at six. That's not that bad. Cause you're like, there's eight hours there. You're like, it's not that bad. But what you don't realize is you finish at 10 well, I actually finished at half nine. I came in on the first day. I came in half an hour before the end, but I was hoping to come in at about eight thirty, nine. A push. Like the first day was harder than I was expecting, and bearing in mind I'd done a reasonable amount of that first day on some on a few reckeys. Um Like my sister lives in Anglesey. My mum and dad are from Bangor. It's like quite a special place for our family, um, so I, I know it, knew it well and had done some recies there. So after finishing that first, I was like, like, it was a bit harder than I was expecting. So that's already making you feel like, okay, um, I've got no idea what day two is going to be like. Day two was 112 kilometers. I was like, I do not know what that is going to be like. I think it's 67 miles. Um, it's what, what's that like? Is it nearly three marathons or two and a half marathons? Or something? something bonkers. And I was like, I don't know what that's going to be like. And then now you're already starting to get a bit nervous because you're like, I already, f- I feel worse than I thought I was going to feel before we've even gone to sleep. And then um I really benefit from like an ice bath. So it was like, get by the time you've got in the car and then driven half an hour back to base camp, which is my sister's house and then have an ice bath and, and then to have something to eat, you need to fuel because you're getting up then the next day and it's like 11.30, trying to get into bed, lying there at midnight, just like, cannot sleep. I think I fell asleep like two or three times for about 10 minutes. My system is just so like upregulated. Um, and then the you had to, you started at six, but you had to be at the place for like, I think the registration was at five, race briefing at 5.30. So we had to leave at half four. So the alarm's going off at four. So then actually you're going like, I've got a 12 to a four window actually, where I'm sleeping, but didn't, I basically put, slept for maybe 20 minutes. So then you've got the piece of like, no sleep in, in there, which I wasn't uh, practiced in or prepared for, because I didn't think that was necessarily going to be the case. And then I've given you those cutoff times for the whole day, but there was a checkpoint for safety reasons, as much as anything, probably, that there was a checkpoint roughly every two-ish hours.
0: And was that with like a, a, did that have like a time limit that you had to reach, yeah. like a certain
1: time limit that you needed to reach each checkpoint? Yeah. So uh, day one, I wasn't in a danger of missing a checkpoint. Um, but day two, literally from after the fir- first checkpoint fight, after that, it was literally like squeaky bum time, constantly coming into. Because you've done all this practice, and all this training, and it's like, you just timed out, like, early doors on day two. And it was like, I'd done uh, a few things, one of which was, had, like, two two companies that I work with um, sponsoring it so that we could have it. I thought it was going to be this really beautiful event. of running around Langston and all this amazing stuff. was going to be fantastic. Let's capture it. And um, there was uh, two guys that were good friends of mine that are videographers. And um, these two sponsors had paid for them to, to to make this sort of um, documentary short film out of it. So I've got two guys running around with, with cameras following me thinking that this is a good idea. Um, which soon started to become not a great idea because... Some, I mean, after on the, I made the first checkpoint. Okay. On day two, but then for the second and third, I was struggling. I think for the third, I nearly didn't make it. Um, and at that point, my wife started running with me. She'd before this had only ever run like a half marathon. She started running with me and feeding me food and whatever, um, and then literally didn't leave me until we crossed the finish line on the third day. Like she pretty much bar, she carried me without actually picking me up and carrying me um, through. So I think she, she ran about 50 odd miles on day two with no preparation mentally. Cause she didn't think that she was going to do it. No. Uh, she ran the final leg in the dark on day one with me. Uh, but yeah, yeah ran ran about 50 miles on i maybe did the, probably was probably more probably 55 probably did about 12 miles on my own at the beginning and then she probably ran 55 miles on, me on day two having only ever run a half marathon which is like 13 i don't know how That's amazing i don't know how yeah. she did it she was also navigating <laughs> like she was about 50 <laughs> a steady 50 meters ahead of me just going come on dave come on come on <laughs> and anytime i started and there was the, these checkpoints were like harsh if you walked you couldn't walk an entire thing. You would be, you you it just, and they were like, it's not a walking race. Like if you walk, you were done. Um, you know, you could walk sections and we all walked sections, like bits. But if you walked an entire checkpoint, you're done. Um, so we got through to the end day, come in like constant. I remember getting to that, that penultimate checkpoint and being like, okay, we are actually gonna, we are, when, I think I got to about, the middle of that day too. And I finally like relaxed when it was like, okay, we've nearly missed the first, say four checkpoints, nearly missed them. But it was like, we did make them. And maybe that's the story of today. Maybe today is like, you're just going to make them just a few minutes here, a few minutes there. And as long as you make the next one, that's okay. So it just literally became about like, okay, okay, we've reached this checkpoint. Where's the next checkpoint? How long is it in terms of distance? How long have I got? And then like, just get to that next one. And, and we just went from one to the next, to the next, to the next. And then, you know, all of a sudden it's the middle of the night. And then you you've, you've, and you get there and we came in 50 minutes early, which um, yeah, it was, I was surprised we managed to even come in that much early by, by the end. So we did all, we, we sort of did all right in, in the end. So then that's like midnight, get back, I I was at the point, I couldn't like eat, like you're just, everything's everything's bad at this point. Your body has never experienced, because I've not done enough, I thought I'd done enough training, but I hadn't done anywhere near enough training. Um, you've, uh, yeah, your body's just never experienced this type of stress, this physical stress. And mentally, there was the emotional stress of, you're constantly worried about not being at the checkpoint. So you go to like, so, you know, I probably get in bed at like, half one by the time i actually got home had an ice bath i think i'd nearly fell asleep in the ice bath but i sort of i, I got to the point i i stayed in way too long because i literally just couldn't be asked to get out and then i like couldn't get warm and then i was having a bit of i don't know i was, yeah, I was in a bit of trouble couldn't regulate my own body temperature and then again so lying in bed at like half one alarms going off at half four because you've got the same process to get up for the six o'clock start the next day and Again, I fell asleep a couple of times for like maybe 10 minutes this time. And I remember when the alarm went off at 4.30, I turned to my wife and I said like, I can't do it. I was like, I feel sick. Um, Like I'm actually worried for my own like health. When I'd really like, when I was first overcoming my brain injury, initially anytime I pushed any running too far it would kick off my symptoms again and I was like I feel sick like I just I can't regulate my body temperature I've not slept at all I literally I can't move like but that wasn't I wasn't the fact that I couldn't move and was so stiff it was like that wasn't the bit that was worrying me I was worried a bit about like myself and and she said something um to me very simple but she said Just try to get up, like try to get out of bed. Because if you don't, you're going to regret it. So I get up and I'm like, I stand up and I'm like, I feel sick. (laughs) I can't do this. But I need the toilet. We were staying in, we were in our camper van at my sister's house and no no number two is in the camper van toilet. So I had to go into the house. So I, I, I wander into the house. I sit down on the toilet. I'm so exhausted, feeling so horrendous. I don't even close the the toilet door. Um, and I'm actually just in tears. Um, I felt extremely embarrassed, uh, not for the toilet situation, but for the fact that I turned up to the, this event with a, two sponsors paying for people to film it because it was going to be this great thing with a really good message that comes out of him blah 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 whatever and I was like you've disrespected the event like you shouldn't be here you're an idiot and to make matters worse what are you going to say to those people that have paid that money for these guys There, there is there is no there is no thing there is no documentary or film or whatever was supposed to be made out of it like I was annoyed I was angry I was I was I was disappointed at myself angry at myself and embarrassed at myself of like almost like the a bit disgusted like looking at yourself going like the ego like you thought that you could do this thing like just yeah like just like wildly out anyway so i'm in a i'm in a bad place here we're talking about (laughs) mentors. i'm in a bad place um and i'm crying and my sister comes downstairs because she's heard me and um uh she was she's got a little she's got two little boys and the 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 youngest one had, had woke her up so so she like came downstairs to to just basically said i come downstairs to um just to like wish you good looks. But she like pops her head around the toilet door, sees me with my pants down, my ankles like crying. <laughs> I can't even poo, like that was just too painful. <laughs> and uh, and I looked up at her and I was like, Susie, I can't do it. I can't do it. That's like all I could sort of say or think. And she said, again, a similar thing and it was the beautiful simplicity of it. She was like, and bearing in mind my sister, she'd... Uh, she'd been a world rafting champion um, with Great Britain she an been Snowden Ironman Um, she she knows how to put it in and and what these things take Um, and she didn't challenge me she didn't um, give me a pep talk she just said just try and get in the car that's the first step And I was like, okay. I was sobbing a bit. Okay. Like, I'll try and get in the car. Because I I felt like I could do that. I I could try to get in the car. That didn't mean I was going to start the race. But I'll try to get in the car. So... I mean, I literally just then, I was then just like trying to get into the car and like I didn't even bring my bag, right? My wife and my sister in law um, got all the stuff together. Sister in law drove us, Sarah drove us to, to the start line. I remember like I couldn't even put my left shoe on because i kicked a, a stone on the first, a big rock on the first day and my foot was all swollen. So I was like, yeah, like, got out of the car and like sort of waddled into the, into the start line and, and the, and the camera guys are there and we've it's, it's the, it's called between breaths is the, the film. Um, it's on YouTube. So people can see this part of it. Well, I can it's any part of it, but this is this captured on that. You see me and, um, I'm like limping in. And I guess I was like, at that point, probably a little bit like, well, okay, I have made it here. I have actually managed to get here, but then it got worse. Because I'm like, I just need to sit. I can barely stand up. So I was like, found a chair in the corner to sit down. And I'm like, looking up like this at everyone. And everyone's office is all right. Like, they're stood up chatting and having a bit of a laugh. And, a and I'm looking at everyone going like, what is the matter with you? And like, <laughs> I, like, I thought before I saw them, when I was in the toilet on my own, I was thinking like, I don't deserve to be here. And then when I was there, I was just, so I just started crying again. I'm just like sat in a corner of a chair, just crying, crying, crying. And I'm just like, I'm just hating on myself even more at this point. Like you you should, you, it was, I felt like the state I was in, I couldn't hide it. Everyone could see it. It was like by being so underprepared and so out of my depth, it was disrespectful to everyone else there that had done the work and, had, you know, had got themselves into a place where they could, so anyway, like the the guys doing the talk, by this point, point, fifty percent from day from day one, fifty percent of people have dropped out. So we we're down to we we're down in half, and he said, statistically speaking, if you've made it to the start of day three, you're gonna finish, and because basically, if you make if you do make it to the end of day two, you like you're you you've got a good chance. Most people, um, so I think. F- 50 yes there's 112 people 56 people started day three and 53 people finished so only three people dropped out and if you were looking around that room and going knowing that three people aren't going to make this and go who is it pick them out everyone would have gone well him as in pointing me like him <laughs> <laughs> the guy in the corner crying <laughs> he ain't gonna make it and then for the other two you'd be like it'd be quite difficult to tell because everyone sort of seemed all right if you know what i mean but um, I waddled out of the door. You see this on the video. I waddle out the door, hobbling. Wife's there. Everyone else sort of jogs off, and everyone's a bit gingerly. But people jog off, and we're just like, I'm sort of trying to like hobble jog thing. But you can see um, wife and my sister-in-law walking next to me so like they're walking slowly and I'm trying to do like a running action but I'm going that slow it's not even walking um and I'm sort of like mentally just trying to be like okay like okay so we're moving I'm not going to make the first checkpoint so fine I'll just walk the rest of it and at least we get to the end and I'm just like I'm not in the competition, but I'm at least I'll how. And I'm thinking, how long would it get to walk these last thirty-three miles? I think it was on day three. And it's like it's gonna take all day at this rate. Um, and there was like a storm came in, and the weather was just like horrendous. And I think it was just a case of like it couldn't have been any worse and the slower we go the longer this thing is going to take so I just start to try running and weirdly it was I think the way I was sort of like limping with my foot it hurt more to be like walking so when I started jogging it was like it sort of felt a little bit better and then it was like I started getting to a bit of a rhythm and my wife was ahead I shouted to Catherine I was like Pet I'm i'm running and she was like yeah like we, we couldn't sort of like believe it and then we had to know how we were running them for say like that this was after maybe done a couple of kilometers of like walking and then like we're we're starting to go into a bit of a jog and then like we come around the, the, one of these corners of the coastal path and we can see like three people ahead like walking and i remember not i wasn't this wasn't anything against those people i didn't know who they were but it was just in this quite sort of like primal step. I was like seeing these people head walking. I was like, she was like, look, there has been people walking. I was like, let's catch those fucking walkers. (laughs) So we took over those three people and they must have been the three people that didn't make it because somehow, even though we'd walked the, we're so slow for the first couple of kilometers. I didn't think we'd make the first checkpoint, but Somehow, and it's the it's the best feeling ever. It's like you haven't actually got there yet, but you can see on your watch whatever it's like, we're a kilometer away and we've got twelve minutes. And it's like we're gonna get there. And the other thing was the first checkpoint on day three, there was bacon there was bacon and bacon and egg sandwiches or something. <laughs> and so I remember coming up to the thing and I was just like It was the best feeling, that was the best feeling of the whole thing of like, I just, I was like, I didn't think I would be here, not on this planet. And I was like looking at the other stewards and everyone was lovely, but I was like, no, none of you thought I was going to be here. Like, cause I didn't think I was going to be here. And once we made that first checkpoint, it was like, well, why can't we make the next? And there was four checkpoints on day, day three. And yeah, we came in, uh, with 15 minutes to to spare um and weirdly like the some of the pro, like you cross the finish line and the the processing and the some of the stuff had like already happened like it happened at that first checkpoint of realizing i can do this and then like as you before you get to the end you know you're actually going to make it and and that's when the, some of that um yeah relief and stuff comes in but um i i think the thing that from a mindset perspective that i've drawn out of it is like it's great if you can think and talk positively to yourself no doubt but it it proved to me and and maybe i'm maybe it's just me but i don't think it's the case i'm no i'm no different to anyone else the positive self talk or being able to think positively is beneficial for sure but it is not the determining factor I couldn't have been hating on myself anymore but what I had was I got forced into a position where I was totally vulnerable and reliant on somebody else and I was lucky enough that that was that was my wife and she 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 was there and, and she carried me through and that the there was there was strength in that vulnerability. I was I I was happy happy to, but it, it happened and it was forced into that place of like, I cannot do this on my own and I don't even think that I can do it. Um and I'm even hating on myself about doing it. But two bits of advice from a wife and my sister was like breaking it down. I was thinking about the checkpoints all the time. I'd not even thought about how the hell do you get to the start line? And that like breaking stuff down, what are the steps before the first step? The first step you think about, what are the steps to get you to that first step? That was one big thing. And then, yeah, like the the, the positive self-talk isn't, isn't the be all and end all. Having the support of people around you, like that was the determining factor for me. Um, and... I guess I'm I was left leaving that um event with a uh, I guess a a different take on like what vulnerability is and what strength is and also I don't know obviously a lot of gratitude towards my wife a lot of love towards her but um looking at okay well where in life can we be more vulnerable without being forced into it where where rather than being totally decimated by a physical challenge that just annihilated me and I was not prepared for it I had not trained well enough for it rather than having to go through that which is very physically painful where can we actually where can we where can I choose to to be vulnerable and and let someone else help me show me my strength um and that was yeah that was the big they were the big the big learning points from me. Which you know, you talk about mental resilience or strength or whatever, whatever the whatever the word you want to put after that mental mm. piece. Um, it was all mental.
0: That's that's so interesting because I think there's a not a stigma, but when you think about you know mental, it's you know it's often like toughness or like discipline yeah. or you know this idea, but vulnerability is. It's something that it almost makes you sound weak, right? But yeah,
1: in, in other words, it's almost the opposite. Yeah, look, the mental toughness is great when you're like in a position where you can be tough. But what about what about where that situation is beyond your toughness? That's where I was at. It was like, I haven't got this. So you're forced you're forced into it. It's a it's a beautiful place to go. But I think what's even better is like and I I haven't I haven't worked out this but like how do you how do you just choose that and how do you be just open to that without the the physical stress of basically signing up to a a, some sort of events that you're not good enough for (laughs) and then finding out that you're not good enough and then then you'll go there I've got I know that that's a formula that works but it's potentially not good for your health.
0: Well, when you find out, you'll have to, uh, to learn <laughs> yeah, we'll how to get to that place. Um, I mean, I'm just, yeah, I'm just super grateful that you kind of shared your journey and, and such a, you know, we had such a long conversation about it, you know, vulnerability. And, and yeah, thanks so much for sharing. Um, let's kind of head towards the end of this discussion. Yeah. Um, do you have any favourite books that change your perception on life, or that change your the way that you think? Like, do you have any favourite books, or maybe any resources or things that you've come across, but you're like, "Wow, that has shifted my life um, or shifted my perception."
1: Yeah, loads. Um, so, from a breathe like that, two from a breathing perspective, uh, "The Oxygen Advantage" by Patrick McKeown and "Breath" by James Nestor. People, if they've if they're in the breathing space or interested at all, they've probably heard of those. But definitely those two. Um, the Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle that's like mega, I mean that blows your mind a little bit, you've got to be open to a bit of bit of stuff from bit bit outside of your comfort zone but like I would encourage people to be open to that um, yeah those those uh, those definitely um, I'm sure I'll, I'll, some others might spring to mind as I go I've actually like for someone that I, I was terrible at English at school like Scrape to see um but found out that actually yeah I'm, I'm potentially dyslexic but when i find something that i'm interested in i love reading but i just never had anything that i was interested in to read it when i was just and, and not good at it it's hard to do something when you're not good at it. i wasn't good at i wasn't good at reading and, and writing and spelling and stuff but then i didn't do so then I didn't do it much but then how are you going to get any better at it so by not feeling like you're good at reading you then don't read but then it doesn't help you get any better at it um but yeah finding finding stuff that i was interested in um for sure
0: yeah it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy right like once you think that you're not good at something then you don't do it and then you don't do it because you you think that you're not good at it right and it just goes around in circles um i kind of feel like we've kind of dived into your journey and we've talked about um you know going from your rugby career through your through the ultra ultra race um but if you could give like three actionable steps maybe that people could do to, it could be to do with their breathing, it could be to do with their mindset, but three things that, you know, the audience could do at home to to help optimize their performance or develop a more optimal mindset, what would you, or those three things yeah. be?
1: Um, well, definitely one would be to generally shut your mouth and breathe through in and out through your nose. It is the breathing organ, your nose, like it's how you're supposed to breathe, Your brain wave function is different when you're nasal breathing to where your mouth breathing nervous system is, is, is going to be acting differently. Um, And so your mindset is going to be different and um, it will be part of a piece that will help you improve your body's relationship with carbon dioxide that I mentioned that that influences the way you think and the way your mindset is and where how you manage stress and anxiety there's a direct link between co2 and anxiety so yeah nasal nasal breathing in and out um as much as you can try and try and create that as a habit that for some people alone on its own is is life-changing um and yeah t- try to try to from the mindset perspective like drawing up on what i said there with like the the, the strength in vulnerability try to find Ways, or just open our mind up to find ways, or think about ways that I could potentially open myself up to being to being vulnerable, to not having all the answers, to not being the strong or tough one, but surround yourself with with people that can yeah, can that you can journey journey with on that um, because life life and and struggles and challenges and building our resilience or building our mindsets life is not meant to be done alone so the idea that like i'm gonna do it i'm gonna be strong i'm gonna be the tough one like it's a it's a it's a mirage it doesn't it doesn't exist um because what about when you aren't like i said what about when you aren't tough enough where are you gonna go then um I'm just the answer to that, like, I'm just going to get tougher. No, because what about when you get to the point where you haven't, it outmatches your, your toughness. So, yeah. And and you mentioned earlier, right at the beginning, just, um, you sort of use the word meditate, almost like just be like meditate. Like this, the one thing I've found most difficult when I was working on my breathing was to like, just sit still and just breathe, um, to calm the racing mind and, and feeling, Feeling very, um, uh, what's the right word? Um, unproductive. It was like doing, doing nothing is very unproductive. Unproduc- unproductive. Uh, if that's the right word, um, I told you I wasn't good at English. Um, <laughs> and it's like there's yeah there's a there's a cultural thing where doing is seem to be like productive we get we, we feel better when we do things we put our our sort of purpose in like being productive and, and being uh or our value in that and like we're missing out on our value in being who we are and like what that what is that um and I would I would encourage people that like in trying to be still and whether that you call that meditating or whether you think about however you want to think about it is um particularly if you find it challenging it might be the best thing you ever do it's going to feel horrendous at first because you're like can't i can't sit still can't like not think and it's not necessarily that you're trying not to think but just like just to be whatever that whatever that means to you like i'm not here to tell anyone what that is like but i would encourage you to it to explore it because it sounds the weirdest thing if I'd have heard myself say this 10 years ago and I've just finished playing rugby saying I'm going to give some advice on a podcast to people to like just do nothing and just sit still like just to be I'd be like what is that bloke talking about like he's off his rocket, like what does that mean and I think that's the that's yeah that's the journey that we we sort of go on but um yeah there's a there's i a, um, I'll finish with the um, it's like a, a story or a thing. I'm sure it's true, but the Dalai Lama saying that like, if he has a, if he, he meditates every morning for an hour, gosh, that's a long time. But if he has a particularly busy day, he meditates for two hours and you're like, how does that work? <laughs> like spending more time doing nothing. How is that? How, how, how does, how does the math play out on that? He's got less time, but he's being more productive because he knows how important that is. Um, And it can be very hard when you've got a busy day, like I need to crack on because doing the thing is going to be the thing that helps the thing get done rather than going, okay, the first thing we do is I'm going to do nothing. How's that going to help the thing? Um, So yeah, I would, I would just encourage people to play with that.
0: I love that. Yeah. I think, I think as society, we, you know, the world is becoming more, instantaneous and there's so many things trying to grab your attention, right? And pull you out of the now with, you know, Instagram and TikTok and all these things. And and it's actually sometimes we've just got to take a step back, right? And just be be right here, right? And just be rather than always be like you said, busy doing, 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 kind of just slowing things down and being right where we are. So yeah. awesome. That's some great advice there. Um so how can people? I mean, I'm def- I've already watched your documentary, but I'm definitely going to watch yeah. it again now. Um, how can be? Uh, <laughs> how can yeah, people connect with you. you? What's the
1: best way? What's um, the? Uh, what's the best way to, to, to find you? Yeah, I guess we can put a link in if you're happy to put a link into the Between Best film because if you if you liked what I was saying, you'd enjoy watching that. But equally, if you don't, then it's fine. Um, yeah, that's that's on YouTube. Um, I think I'm I'm sort of most active on uh, Instagram, which is jacko.david.jackson. Um, on on TikTok as Jacko Breathwork, um, and website is probreathwork.com Um I've got two free courses, online courses. There, it's also it's available as an app. So Pro Breathwork app. So it's available on the on your mobile, available as an app or on the desktop. But uh, there's two free courses on there: Foundations of Breathing and also Breathwork for Stress and Anxiety. So two free courses to help people with all the the foundations and basics that they need, as well as um, really important tools to help regulate your nervous system and, and control if if stress and anxiety is something that is is it's is often something that we all experience at some time or another.
0: Amazing. Yeah, we'll put all the uh, information in the show notes as well. But I, I think I'd love to have you back on the show to talk maybe more about the, the techniques and the, and the breath work that you do because you've been a very interesting guest and you've and you, you <laughs> shared some good knowledge there. So so thank you so much. No, um, yeah, no, I'd love all right. To. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us, David. And it's been a pleasure. And uh, hopefully we'll see you again soon.
1: Yeah, no problem, mate. Thanks so much.
0: All right. Thanks for joining the uh, the show this afternoon. Um, this has been Optimal Mindset and I look forward to hearing again from you soon take care everyone thank you so much for tuning into the Optimal Mindset podcast today we are available on SoundCloud and on Spotify I've included all my information in the show notes for those who wish to find out more about our, our guests and upcoming episodes remember, train your mind, optimise your life